Okay, so welcome to Mac and Cheese episode number 58. We are we should for posterity's sake say we are recording this on uh, April 24th, just about two weeks before the provincial election. And as we are speaking, there's some press conference going on at the Oilers and there's things there. So we've got the Oilers head office is being swept out. That's the, that's the talk anyway. The so. Tories might be swept out. The taxes have somehow been swept down at City Hall. I don't quite understand this. You'll have to explain it to me. But we'll take it. And outside of all this sweeping, uh, you can tell us about this walrus talk about Aboriginal Indians and about your, uh, your very instincts or piece on uh, placemaking. All right, sounds good. So lots of big topics. So first one is the Oilers then, I guess. Oh, the Oilers are, one hesitates to say exciting because... Well, we, we won know, the draft. Okay. We have like a we have yes. a lottery dynasty. Okay, Conor McDavid. Right. <laughs> That's old news now already. Yeah. No, this kid is going to be great. But at the same time, it was very interesting when he bought in, when Cates hired Bob Nicholson last year. Yeah. And he was doing his overall, he was just going to be a consultant reporting on things. Ha. You know, obviously Cates had given him, said, look, you know, you are going to be in charge. My old pals, I got to get rid of them. It's been nine years since they made the playoffs. So today... Uh, Kevin Lowe, the great Edmonton Oilers warrior who just couldn't get the team in the playoffs for nine years, moves out of being the head of hockey operations to some sort of storefront operation as as investor relations or something, which he'll probably he can he can be up in Daryl Cates' suite and showing them all his Stanley Cup rings. He know? can he can do whatever Daryl wants him to. That's he'll still right. earn a paycheck. They yeah. just hired is it Peter Chiarelli? Peter Chiarelli, you yeah. know, considered one of the best minds in hockey. Uh, was fired from the Boston Bruins for not making it once to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, standing I mean, up. crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> the standards are higher somehow in other okay. cities. This tells us, and probably even in a couple hours' time, that I can't see Kevin, McTa- uh, Kevin McTavish. <laughs> Craig McTavish. <laughs> Craig Mc- I can't see Craig McTavish staying in charge. Just, yeah. It's just not going to happen. No. Interesting question, though, is that Daryl Cates is so loyal to these guys. What does he give McTavish to kind of keep him? Does he invent some, you know, associate vice president in charge of media relations or, or whatever? Well, he uh, can afford the paycheck, so. We're hearing uh, Pat LaForge is gone. They sort of, I guess he was the, the, the operations guy for all the uh, yeah. off-ice stuff. Yep. Had a pretty good run, good guy. They're all good guys. This is the problem. They were, you know, Kevin Lowe was a, was a, is a great oiler warrior was so active in the community, did so much for the Christmas Bureau, and even we used to run the Sun Christmas charity auctions, and every year he would do a dinner for us. So, you know, he would come over and spend an evening and regale people with stories. Just a good guy, but you just you can't go nine years and not make the playoffs and not get fired. You it just doesn't work that you way. You can't just keep doing what you've been doing and hoping that it's going to change, right? And draft pick after draft pick, and still we're at the bottom of the league. So something had to give, right? It was only yeah. a matter of time. So, poor guys. I feel a little sorry for them because just as they get, like, the best players since Gretzky. Uh, Crosby. Since Crosby. That's what people say. Well, Gretzky's saying he thinks he thinks this kid is the new Gretzky, but then <laughs> Gretzky was no great judge of talent either yeah. in his own day. Who knows? Let's wait and see. But certainly it's the beginning of a brand-new day. There's an enormous sense of relief in the city that the, you know the, the nightmare is finally over, and uh, well, well, hopefully, it'll yeah. Be. <laughs> I mean, I'm, if this I'm, one doesn't work, oh my god. I'm more interested in the uh, business side of it. I guess I'm a fan of hockey, obviously, but I don't know all the details and stats like some of these guys. But no, 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 no. no all no. this talk about one generational player is going to make all the difference. 
how many generational players won Stanley Cups in the last 10 years? I mean, aside from Crosby, that's not how you build a winning team, it seems, right? So I just don't want to put all our eggs in the Connor McDavid basket <laughs> and then have it blow up in our face, right? But if all these guys, they do say it takes four to five years for everyone to come into their own. Right. If Tyler Hall stays healthy, he is a... He's a great he's player. He's a 60, 70, 80 point a year guy. Yeah, he's a great player. Uh, you know, we still have... Uh, What's his name? This is how close I am to hockey. What's his name? Ryan Nugent Hopkins. We got Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's making quantum leaps every year. Nail Yakupov did better this year. Uh, I'm not so sure about Nail. I think this year, though, he he kind of uh, came into his own a little bit toward the end of the season. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I think so he did better under uh, our new coach rather than Aikens. If you have four top of the drafts every year, number one picks, and you don't make the playoffs. Right. It's pathetic. <laughs> so In Connor, we trust, I guess. In Connor, we trust. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun to watch, too. It's going to be a lot more exciting. Should be good. And they'll have a, a brand new barn to play in. Brand new. All, and who exciting. will be the coach? Who will be the coach? It's going to be very interesting. Meanwhile, our poor Jim Prentice and his Tories were, what, 12 days away from the, the election? Debate was last night. Debate was last night. This is the weirdest election I've seen in a long time because it's not as if there is a another challenger that's ready to take over. You know, this is not to you go mean back for to the PCs. Yeah, the, the but the best election we ever had was Lawrence DeCora leading the Liberals up against Ralph Klein leading the Conservatives. Oh, I see right? what you're saying. Yeah, there was a you knew that if you elected if you went liberal, you're going to get a very very strong leader. Right? right. So here we, but there seems to be this general. It's as if at, after 44 years, people have suddenly said, "Yep." Time. And these poor apprentice people must be looking at each other and saying, whoa, 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 what did we do wrong? You How know? did we miscalculate <laughs> on the strategy so badly? Yeah, people are saying after the debate last night that Rachel Notley was the winner, you know, how, yeah. whatever that means, being the winner of a debate. Um, but the most interesting thing is that if she has become the vote for progressives, then for the first time ever, potentially, you've got maybe vote splitting on the right rather than on the left. Yes, right? very much so. With the Wild Rose and the and the PCs, which is a fascinating position for Prentice and the team to be in. Yep, and somehow, and he's very progressive, and he's watched it all melt before his eyes. Right. It could be, if you go back, I've, I've done a little bit of looking at writings, you know, writing by writing kind of thing. You can always say, that, okay, there's maybe 10 writings in Edmonton out of our, what, 28 or so, that... The guys they're in have been longtime MLAs. They're very well known. Uh, they're good constituency people. Gene Zwazdeski, uh, Tom Lukasik, uh, all those people. And so you sort of say, well, they'll hold those seats. But then when these things starts, when this momentum starts for change, all bets are off. You just yeah. don't know what's happening. And, and you get Rachel's the wind behind doing you a and great and job. Yep. I mean, then DP government would scare me, scare me witless, right? Because... You have no one there who's actually run a company, or they're all teachers and social workers. I mean, God bless them, but they know nothing about running governments, and that's what usually happens is terrifying things in financial. But who knows? Maybe it's time for a real change. Maybe it is time the corporations paid a little more. Maybe it is time for the royalties to be get back more into the real world. Uh, at the same time, they're going to be beholden to unions, and, and that that, so to me, is just as bad as being beholden to corporations. The point that's inter interesting is that I'm not so sure if they do sweep to power or even you know, form the official opposition that people have voted for them necessarily because of their policies or if they voted for them because they wanted to send a message yes. to the PCs, right? Yeah, but number one, Mac, they are not going to take power. 
they can the, their best case scenario is they take every seat in Edmonton and they take three or four in Calgary, maybe one or two rural. So we were talking about polls a little bit, and the polls yeah. all have them leading or second to the Wild Rose, which yeah. is fascinating to me that the Wild Rose are still so high in the polls, but you don't put a lot of weight in those, basically. I don't put a lot of weight in them, but I do think that the Wild Rose will take back every, they'll keep what they have. They'll take back all those seats from the ones that walked. You think they will? Yes. And I think there's general disillusionment, and I think they get every seat in Southern Alberta, maybe not Lethbridge, but outside of Calgary, and they're going to get three or four in Calgary. And they might do really well across the northern Alberta rural, too. I think what really sunk Prentice was the way they welcomed the progressive wing when they, when the, well, how many, 11 that defected from Wild Rose? 10, I think, right? 10. Yeah. N- Nine or 10. Who would have seen that that would have caused this huge counter revolution in the rural areas saying, how dare they accept those people in? You know, you could at least make them sit as independents. Yeah. Uh, and it, it that totally is, backfired, right? And then Bill, uh, Jean, first name? Brian. Yeah, Brian Jean comes in. At least he's got some experience as an MP. He's got a very good credibility that way. They get a credible leader uh, starting from so far back, right, but is making a pretty good impression. I mean, he didn't really talk about anything of substance. He basically just said, we won't raise taxes, but wouldn't say how they're planning to do that. But he In did, the debate last night. In the yeah. debate last night. But he did well for his first. I mean, it was kind of his coming out part of the debate, right? Most people haven't heard of him or heard him speak. Or I was anything a bit like disappointed that. in his inability to, to speak off the cuff, to be able to turn around. I mean, it's maybe it's just political theater, but both Rachel Notley and Jim Prentice got a couple of zingers oh, off, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that they just thought of in that second and away they went, right? Yeah, yeah. Gene uh, had been so scripted that he was just kind of. I must say I will not raise taxes. Yeah, he kind of just stuck to that one I must say I message. will not raise taxes. I will not raise taxes. Are you going to raise taxes? I promise you. See page five of my policy book. <laughs> so well, what an election. I say at this point I'm almost willing to go third to third to third. Well, I think it's uh, Rachel's race to lose. If she can keep momentum going, things will be very positive for the NDP, whether it's official opposition or whatever. But she's got, got 87 she's got the seats. momentum. We've got 87 seats. Yeah. I can't see them picking up more than a third. Well, I don't think they're going to get 44 necessarily, but I think they could become the official opposition. I think you're hashtagging it. We'll find <laughs> your out. Your generation, your look. you got to remember, Mac, you're in a minority. Although, as Dave Cornway <laughs> says, the rule of elections in Alberta is the PCs win. And they got a few tricks up their sleeves. you got to manage expectations, right? So. <laughs> so. We'll see, but boy, it's going to be a fascinating one. It turned out to be more interesting than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and you're going to put together a website that's going to have a really neat, as election stuff comes in, sort of everything you need to know. Yeah, last election I built a results dashboard. Uh, this year I'm redoing it and updating it and making it more modern and all those things. It'll be at abvote.ca. abvote.ca. Cool. Look forward to it. Yep. Hey, Mac, how the heck does the city council, having said, yes, we're going to have a 5.7% increase in budget, yeah. right? And we all sit back and we, you know, it goes on for a couple of weeks oh and everyone God, turns around and forgets about it. Yeah. Suddenly declare, oh, it's only going to be 3.3%. What? Well, I don't know all the, all the details, but as I understand it, there's a couple of factors. So one is they raised all of the sin taxes, and so there's more revenue coming to the city from the province than they expected, right? Do, do sin taxes flow through? From some of them, I guess, like uh, like traffic uh, violations and things like that. They get a portion of it, is my understanding. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the other thing was around the education portion of the provincial taxes. 
something about the province taking less than they than they planned to or I, I don't know exactly the details but somehow we've ended up with what is it 3.3 percent tax increase but that's like that that's a lot of money their total budget is in the billions right sorry I don't have it in front of me here Yeah, it's like two billion dollars basically uh, okay so every point is around 200 million so somehow they found 500 million dollars we're going to put this in the links because we don't know the details. I know, and nobody ever does. Accountants yeah. can wiggle things every which way. But I'm surprised, too. Why not just keep it quiet and say, hmm, maybe we can build up a little bit of a reservoir here. I mean, who is going to notice? Well, you it's know? a good thing for the councillors, though. It makes council look pretty good, right? I suppose. But on the other hand, you might be smarter off just to put it in a little rainy day fund. Well, what they ended up spending it on partially was police, right? Yeah. So they, they the, the extra acquiesced 49. and gave the police their extra 40 uh, positions for, for the downtown and the arena, ostensibly. I but just happened to be there when they were doing that debate, and I just loved the entire police angle. Their PR angle was, we can increase 49 officers, and it won't cost you anything. Yeah, I know. Woo, yeah, <laughs> bring them all. That was funny. <laughs> just tell so. them no for once. Yeah. So we're going to have less tax. I guess that's good news, too. Yeah. Except we'll use that drop in taxes on our property tax to pay more for our booze. Probably. It'll probably, probably be a wash, It'll balance, right? Yeah. yeah. And if you're a smoker, <laughs> it's going to cost you more. Oh, well. Tell me about this walrus talk that you were, you were involved in, the Aboriginal thing. I know you sort of Well, I wasn't these. involved, but I attended. You attended. Okay. Yeah. And you wrote an interesting report on it yeah. in, in Master Mac. Yeah. I always have, and I'm trying to get over it, but like, Okay, so everyone gets around and talks a lot. So what? And then what? And they all go away feeling good, and someone gave them $200,000 to do it, and some people made money producing the event. Now what? Well, I don't think anybody gave them money. From a media point of view, it's very interesting, actually. I think this is one of the, you know, the new forms of journalism, and one of the new business models is events. And so the Walrus is doing this series of events. And okay. it's a interesting from a media guy point of view, right? That You're right. they're making some money on this kind of thing. Um, I think it's good that the discussion's happening at least. And the question is, of course, like you say, where does it go and what happens next? But on this particular topic, so it was about the Aboriginal city and the idea of Aboriginal people in, Ed or in Edmonton and in Canada, you know, that population's really growing and they're living in urban centers. And we've been hearing for years, right, that Edmonton is going to have the largest urban Aboriginal population in Canada. Well, so what? And this, I feel like, was actually some people talking about what that means. Okay, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if it happens or happens next year or it happened already. What does that mean for Edmonton and other cities? So what were your main points that you said, hmm, that's really interesting that you hadn't thought about before? Well, there was definitely some interesting stuff about the treaties. Uh, so we're on Treaty 6 territory, and that was uh, talked about quite a bit. One of the speakers was uh, making a really interesting point that there have been some Supreme Court decisions about treaties mm -hmm. uh, that have been very positive, but he pointed out that the other side on every one of those was the crown, was the government. Uh, and his argument was basically that you know Canada was founded on the idea that the white man is better than the, uh, the native who is here already, rather than an, on a system of equality. And a treaty generally you know, carries some of those connotations, but in this case it was like drawing a line in the sand, and he called it a divorce rather than a marriage. So instead of coming together and agreeing to you know, go forward in harmony, the divorce is like, so this is what you can't do, this is what we're taking away. So you're saying it gives us an historical yeah. perspective. Any application to the present? 
Well, there's lots of uh, young people actually speaking, which was really quite interesting. The the one young woman, Jessica, was uh, talking about edge walkers, which is her term for young uh, Aboriginal people uh, living in cities. And she said there's lots of them out there and they're not happy with the status quo and they're innovative and they want to go and they want to build things. And so how can we support them uh, to, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that the city provides? Like, you know, that was a pretty clear message. They're, they're coming to the city. They live in the city because they want to. Well, aren't there know? so many scholarships? I mean, there's, uh, you know, U of A 20 years ago had 10 native students. Now they got a thousand if if they're showing aptitude, isn't the isn't there so many doors open and so many scholarships and so many people trying to help? Yeah, and I don't think the point was so much about like give us money. The point was more like make space for our cultural values in the city, right? So the one comedian he was really he was really okay. quite funny. Yeah, the young comedian he was talking about. Uh, he's like, I know what I can't do in a city. I know that I can't take my moose that I've killed and hang it up on the tree outside my house because apparently that hurts property values. <laughs> uh, and everybody laughed at that. He says he comes from a long line of moose hunters, right? Yeah. Um, but he's not sure what he, you know, he's less sure about what he can do. He said, I can come and I can listen and I can learn and I can try to participate. But, you know, he's like, for once, I'd rather have you tell me how I should integrate into the city rather than always try to explain to you where I'm coming from. It was just a really okay. interesting interesting conversation and your I hate to use the word your takeaway was well my takeaway personally was just that you know you don't know what you don't know so Mark Connolly from CBC gave the closing remarks and he was very open about the fact that he only learned about Treaty 6 10 years ago he only learned about you know residential schools fairly recently uh, and he's now got a greater understanding and appreciation for some of the challenges and uh, he says, you know, I'll talk about it with my two boys about Treaty 6 so they know about it. So for me, kind of the takeaway was what Lewis Cardinal was talking about, which is that there's incredible power and in storytelling, and we need to be telling those stories and learning what we don't know so okay. that we can better understand. And it's a fair point that we are, that the, the whole residential school thing has opened up a whole pile of people's eyes. Absolutely. You, you can argue the victimization stuff and all that, but we all now know yeah, there there has been great progress. I like to hang out with. There's a group uh, at the Aboriginal Business Association called Axis, right? Okay. And they are very very cool folks, you know, because they are entrepreneurial as heck. They've made all kinds of money, mainly because of the great work that Syncrude did 20 years ago up in the oil sands to get natives involved. And some of those guys, they just done, you know, by golly, they done what white white folks do, you know. They got smart, they got educated. They say, I don't need to be an employee. I can be an entrepreneur. And, they're doing just great. And some of those guys are now expanding into the city to, to offer their services here. And I'm all for it, of course. I wanted to see the day when 10% of our, our bus drivers are native or whatever. I'd like to see that kind of proportion, our store clerks, that there's just kind of seamless integration. And I think it is happening, but not quite... With the East Indian community, they're totally integrated. The Filipinos are totally integrated. It is kind of curious that we still haven't, haven't quite got to that point. And that comes from that history. The term that you know I heard yesterday quite a bit was intergenerational transmission of historic trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. Intergenerational transmission of historic trauma. So the awful things that so we did. So we need to rebuild the transmission. Ago, we gotta we gotta rebuild the relationships and the trust, basically, right? 
Boy, what an intellectual term, eh? I know. Very, very intellectual. But no, it was a good good discussion. Okay, so it basically comes down to our families were all screwed up. They've been really screwed up for three generations, so we got an awful lot of catching up to do. Why did they say it like that instead of, what was it again? Historical well, this, these were, these data were the transmission stage, of right? indigenous what? Well, if you're on a stage, you're gonna you're gonna sound good too. You know what? After four years, I've been semi-involved in marketing and, and communications. I think marketing is a pile of pluey. I really do. They invent all this stuff. They keep using surveys. So you're not even sure about methodology. They keep using metrics. Most of it is just intuition. Keep you on your toes, man. That's oh, what it I comes down it's to. It's a way. They're like the accountants and the lawyers. They're figuring out how to make more money for themselves. I shouldn't be so cynical and be old, but that's part of this show. All right, what's next? Our last thought was you did an interesting thing on uh, placemaking, a little forum or talking about how you use public places. And even though it was along the same ilk as the one other one, rather airy-fairy and all that, it kind of looked interesting. Yeah, the city invited myself and uh, Jeff Chase, who's a senior planner at the city, to talk to BRZs, actually, so the mm-hmm. business revitalization zones, about... Uh, getting some life onto the street and attracting people in business and well that's practical yeah we thought so so we're like sure we'll talk about placemaking and so we talked about uh things like tactical urbanism you know you put some art in the construction hoarding you love all these terms or what yeah it's interesting events (laughs) things that bring people into an area like what the truck or the snowball fight that kind of thing and then of course there's urban planning but that's like a bigger longer term change for placemaking yeah so yeah, no, I was just trying to show them some examples of what you could do and hopefully get them thinking about, you know, what could they take back to their communities. And did anything come up to you to sort of say, we got this space and, uh, and you know, the, the mind started working? Oh, boy, you could really have fun with. There's any particular spaces in town that were identified that aren't being used that well yet? We didn't really talk about that. We asked them, like, some of their favorite examples that they've seen in other places, and there were some really interesting ones. Uh, apparently in one community there are these trees and they have these little nooks in them so they people who have pets that pass away they put the pets ashes there and there's these tiny little doors like hobbit doors or something and uh, apparently one Christmas someone <laughs> decorated in it. Edmonton uh, no this I think was in BC somewhere okay, yeah somebody okay, there's a BC people okay <laughs> one Christmas somebody decorated them with little wreaths on each of the doors which is just <laughs> awesome it's like a totally unique little you know, placemaking thing. So that is awfully cute. I hate to admit it. <laughs> awfully cute. Uh, so we didn't really talk about places in Edmonton, but so can you I can think of can some. Can I put right? my ashes? Let's 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 do it for human ashes. In a tree. In a tree. Yeah, well, Why not? Yeah. Hey, you know what I want to do with my ashes? I keep telling my kids, spread them on my veggie garden, and next year when you eat the corn, think of me. Uh, and they go, Ooh, Dad, that's gross. That's an interesting sentiment. <laughs> So we've swept a lot of things around today, and a lot of things are sweeping in. It'd be great if the Aboriginal thing... I think we are making good progress. I think we are, too. I think we're making good progress on placemaking. I think we just made huge progress on the Oilers. And, uh, oh, God, Lord knows what's going to happen provincially, but maybe a change is as good as a rest. We'll find out in two weeks or less. Yeah. Poor Jim Prentice.